fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about kangaroos punching the shit out of Australians with my friend Caitlin. How are you, Caitlin? Great. <laughs> <laughs> Glad that you're back. I had to do this all alone last week, but uh, good to see that you're doing well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, alive. <laughs> and alive yes uh also sorry that these episodes are going to be a bit delayed i'm going to release two back to back again because i also went camping as well so we're all we're recording two episodes in a row today and then we should be all caught up for the future and then hopefully the plan going forward is to release an episode uh every monday or tuesday for for each week if uh, COVID doesn't try to screw with us anymore or other unexpected health problems and other stuff, like my teeth breaking, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> But anyways, enough with the small talk, I guess? Unless you got anything to add, Caitlin? No, I'm all good. All right, then we'll get right to the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on The Rebel from August 17th to August 21st. Ezra is fawning over Trump's deal between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, chastising the media for not covering this as the single greatest diplomatic victory of all time. In reality, the plan is a mess and served mainly as a PR stunt for Benjamin Netanyahu and... Mohammed Ben Zayed, or who is also uh, colloquially referred to as MBZ, or MBZ. Noticeably missing from this agreement were the Palestinians, uh, who you would think would be important when signing this uh, peace treaty. After signing the agreement, MBZ uh, says that Israel will no longer annex the West Bank, while uh, Benny Netanyahu says he's going to continue the annexation, which is not exactly a coherent message of peace. Joel Pollack editor of Breitbart News, takes credit for Kamala Harris' VP pick. When the primaries began, Joel thought Kamala would be the Democratic nominee for president. And somehow that means he was right all along that she would be vice president. I think they kept running into problems over and over again. Ezra thinks that COVID isn't as bad as people think it is because Australians are more likely to die due to kangaroos than due to the virus. Hijacking the cuteness of kangaroos to downplay their vicious assault on Australians does a disservice to the Australian people who are, as we speak, being decimated by this kangaroo scourge. How dare he? But also, Ezra is a complete fucking moron that doesn't understand that maybe COVID has been less deadly in Australia because the spread of the virus was contained, whereas kangaroos are free to roam the Australian outback with the intent to kill all those who come within their path. Hashtag kangaroos are evil. Hashtag cancel kangaroos. Ezra complains that Facebook is censoring right-wing speech and that we need to think about Facebook as the new public square. This is a bunch of bullshit, given that Facebook is also starting to block groups like It's Going Down, who document and cover fascist violence. But if Ezra really thinks that Facebook is the new public square, why is he not calling for it to be nationalized? Ezra complains that the Edmonton Journal is lying about the severity of COVID, this is because they covered the rise of COVID cases in Edmonton, when, according to Ezra, deaths have remained stable. Like everything that Ezra says about COVID, it is so obviously stupid that it is almost 
uh, feels unworthy to make note of it. But for those who still don't get it, the more cases you have, the more likely the disease will spread, leading to more deaths in the future. Just because the numbers are low now doesn't mean they will be low tomorrow, especially if you agree with Ezra and want everyone going to work. So please continue to distance yourself and wear a mask. David, are you kidding me? Menzies does a special report on the Six Nations land back fight near Caledonia. David interviews someone who actually thinks that the Indigenous activists are right about their land, but then says that the violent activists are really outside agitators. Where have we heard this before? This segment gets further muddled when the Menzoid quotes Conservative MP Diane Finley saying that everyone has the right to protest, but not to disrupt the lives of others. If Menzies agrees the land is being illegally taken from the Indigenous activists and the government is doing nothing to stop it, how else should the Indigenous people address this wrong, if not to disrupt the lives of others? What is this? Are you guys kidding me? How are they supposed to? <laughs> I love They're that supposed quote. to ask for it kindly because it's obviously worked in the past. <laughs> and that is the week. This week was actually a kind of slow week in the uh, Rebel, so we're not going to say much about what happened on the show, and I thought we would just talk because Caitlin and I both just recently attended a Black Lives Matter rally. The rally happened on August 29th in the city of London, and I guess I would just open the floor. Do you have any uh, thoughts about what happened at the rally? We definitely had a much smaller crowd than we than in past Black Lives Matter protests in London, which I always think that happens with a lot of protests. You get like a lot of hype for a specific issue and then you have a huge crowd and then it starts to die down as it keeps going, I guess, because people aren't as passionate. And then you always get those people who are really just out there because it's like a fad. <laughs> no, it's true. And that's really unfortunate. You get a lot of people out here who are doing like social media performativity where they're just going out there to like make themselves look like they're a caring person who gives a shit. And honestly, like, I kind of understand where these people are coming from, right? Like, maybe, maybe they do care about it right then and there because the entire world cares about it and they feel like they should be a part of this. But then it's not something they're going to devote their entire lives, lives to. Yeah. I mean, the performativity aspect. I almost don't mind in the context of a rally because in the end, they're just going to be counted as a number of the horde <laughs> to some respect. Right. So yeah. it's like, they're not the ones who are necessarily taken to the stage uh, or whatnot, which is good because they're probably going to be the least likely to have anything informative to say about the issue since they're just there either for clout or, or other reasons. Yeah. But you do people, you do have people who have large followings on these social media platforms and they should be aware because they're, they have big influence over what people think and do, especially even like younger generations that, you know, maybe don't have access to university courses yet. Right. That are trying to get informed about these things. They'll look up to these, these people. Yeah. And I think part of that has to do with the, the messaging as well. Like I find Right now with what's happening in London, part of part of what I see that's happening is that in other cities, Black Lives Matter organizing has been around for much longer. And so some of the people invi involved have been much more uh, 
clear or at least not even clarity because i think that what's happening in london is pretty clear but that the activists are starting to have an audience now in these other cities and so therefore the message uh can more coherently spread throughout like the people who support the, the protest and i'm not sure that that's happening here i think but I do think, like, it, even though this rally was smaller than the last Black Lives Matter rally, or at least the first one that happened, I think it's, it was roughly the same size as, I think, the one that occurred in between these two. But I do think that the the size of the rally is bigger than anything that has ever happened in London before, even at the size that it is now. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. And so my hope is, even though, like, the first event that had close to 10,000 people or more than 10,000 people. That was really reacting, I think, to a number of things that were going on in the world. But one in particular was the freshness of what happened to George Floyd. I was kind of thinking that we would see a bump given what recently happened in Kenosha and other things. And there were a lot of uh, messaging to that effect. I saw a lot of people with shirts with seven bullet holes of what happened to... uh, what happened to Jacob Blake in Kenosha as he was shot seven times in the back. And so, so like, I'm, I'm hopeful. I I do. I do want to see where this goes because like London has been less radical, (laughs) you know, and I I was hopeful because Alex, who's one of the, uh, the lead organizers right now for black lives matter in London did say that next time we're going to the uh, police station. So that sounds like it should be fun whenever. <laughs> yeah. Whenever One thing is. I definitely did like about this, uh, this protest, I mean, it didn't come from everyone that spoke at the protest was like people being a little more radicalized and literally saying, fuck the police. Yeah. Well, that was the thing during the March. Uh, Cause I don't, I don't think you went on the March, right? You left. Uh, no, I believe. Yeah. Uh, we, I was kind of at the front and, uh, yeah, we were chanting. It was like cool hearing uh, "fuck the police" echoing off the buildings downtown, which <laughs> you know yeah. is something I never thought I would hear in this city. But uh, there it was. Uh, my other f- favorite moment uh, there that uh, I don't think uh, I told you this one or not, but the police. I was at the front, sort of uh, directing the flow of this thing, and the police on their bicycles. There was two police officers on their bicycles, and they drove by me. And they were like, are we going down this street? And it was some side street. And I kind of like nodded like, oh, yeah, sure. And so they started biking down that direction, I guess, to stop traffic. And then I turned to uh, my other friend, Mo, and I was like, let's just go to Dundas. And so we directed everyone to Dundas, which was in the complete opposite direction that the cops just went. (laughs) (laughs) So they got halfway down the street and then realized we were not marching in their direction. And you can just see the panic on their face as they're turning their bikes around to try to catch up with us. And uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite moments. <laughs> that was my my small act of rebellion against the police during this protest. Nice. The other, the other nice thing, too, uh, that happened on the march was we ended up going down to Dundas Street, which was like the main downtown street in London or one of the main downtown streets in London. And I guess because of COVID, they've, a lot of the storefronts have moved out onto the street, sort of. So they had like clothing racks and people were shopping on the street. No, they had a city event going on during, yeah. So they had, it's like vintage 
uh, vintage of London, something like that. It's basically like they were taking out old, like clothing, books, things like that, and having little street vendors come out. And they closed off the the road for cars not to come through. Well, we we sent a rally down. (laughs) But it was awesome. Like, almost everyone that was there was supportive. We had a lot of fists raised. And my favorite moment was there was this older white lady who had some bags that she had just purchased. And she was walking in the opposite direction from where we were marching. And uh, chance of fuck the police were happening right there. And she just had this big grin on her face, just smiling with her bags, going, fuck the police. <laughs> and I was like, you know, we're, we're winning some people over. It's nice, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's great. I think overall it was good. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see uh, what else happens in the city. Because, again, if you compare this to anything else that's happened in London, this is probably one of the bigger things feeling bigger than anything we participated in before so Mm, i mean toronto when we go to toronto it's a lot bigger yeah but toronto's a different story (laughs) no i know for london yeah yeah london our our little our little small city yeah (laughs) the the other thing to note uh i guess before we want to finish this off is some of the other actions that i've uh taken in the city for other causes the party that we're reacting to often will just ignore us. And the interesting thing that's happening here is the police in London have actually been responding to what the protesters are doing, releasing press releases or making statements on Twitter. And that at least tells me that they are at least somewhat frightened that they're going to have their funding cut in some capacity. Like, I don't think that the city council in London is radical enough to actually, like, decimate the police funding in the city to the extent that I want it to. But I think they might be worried that some cuts are going to happen or something. Not that they definitely will, but at least that it's more of a threat. And I think they're taking it seriously. Well, I know that the executive director for London Police did, like, a promotional video about defending the police and how that affects him. And he talked about the protests directly and stuff. So yeah, I think they definitely feel a little friend. I do know some of the activists are going to be making a response to that uh, video as well. And so when that happens, I will also share it through our social media accounts as well to, to bring some attention to it. But yeah, so hopefully they stay scared. Yeah, <laughs> We're coming for your funding. <laughs> <laughs> We actually, actually, we got one last thing to talk about. And then I'll push to Sandy's video. And that is something happened in Montreal. <laughs> so what do you, uh, what, why don't you tell us what happened in Montreal, Caitlin? <laughs> they fucking tore a statue down. That's right. Sir John A. Macdonald's head popped right off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And uh, we had our our new conservative leader Eric tell us all <laughs> <laughs> tell us all that uh, somehow defacing these things is paying is we're defacing our past and we should be proud of our past. Should we be proud of our past? No. <laughs> I I find that all those arguments so weird to a certain extent. 
because I mean, whether Canada formed or not, it probably was going to form regardless of what doofus figurehead was in place when it all sort of came together. And even if Canada didn't form, like, but like, I guess what I'm saying is if Canada does or does not form, would it really have mattered in the long stretch of history? Like we still, we still are kind of a colony of England anyways, that still treated our indigenous population like shit. So it's (laughs) whether, whether we incorporated as Canada or not, is kind of like beside the point. Like we shouldn't have to like necessarily revere this figure who was pretty damn genocidal against indigenous people. Yeah, I don't think I have any more comments on that. This is just, I don't know why we worship people <laughs> that honestly don't really make an impact in our day-to-day lives anymore and have done actually more harm. Yeah, I mean, there's some lefty critiques that like we shouldn't focus on the statues because like at the end of the day, they're, they're more like these intangible sort of things. Like the real issues is power and defunding the police and all that, right? Uh, you're right. We should just kill the rich. <laughs> no, for sure. And like, I'm, I'm more on that front. But at the same time, like, it feels damn good to watch those statues fall. You know. <laughs> I don't really understand that argument, though, because, like, that puts pressure on politicians to act. Yeah, it puts pressures. I think also it's. It says that these symbols, these right-wing symbols that try to instill this kind of like false picture of cultural pride in whatever Canada is and showing that we're not going to buy the national symbols anymore, I think actually is a statement against the power structures of this country, you know. But whether, I mean, at the end of the day, whether it's going to change the system or not is yet to be seen. But uh, I think we're at least scaring them right now. And so that's that's nice. Yeah, but I think that's kind of the point too, right? Yeah. I also, uh, to end this segment, I'm going to play a clip of one of the speakers. Her name was uh, Sandy Thompson. And I thought she gave, for one, I thought she was a great speaker. You know, it takes a lot to stand up there and speak to a crowd of uh, over 100 people. But also, I thought the message was was very touching. She had talked about uh, an issue of racial prejudice against her uh, son involving the police. And so uh, I asked Sandy if I could play the clip on her show, and she said that we could. So I guess we'll go to that now, and that'll be the end. The other thing that you can do after listening to the clip and uh, feeling emotionally compelled, uh, go find a way to to donate to uh, Black Lives Matter uh, and Black Lives Matter causes, including bail funds for people who are getting arrested in, in other cities. What happens when you send your 14-year-old young man to school and he walks into the school, even from five years old, this was happening, and as soon as they see a black child, what do they see? Poverty, drugs, anger, violence. They don't even give your child a chance to be a child. Your young girl or young boy is already set up for failure because of the system that is put in place before them. What happens to that individual? 
individual that is going through that. Now, I'm a mother and I send my child out to school thinking that they are going to be what? Protected and be safe. But because they are born in this skin color, they've already been put into a pot and the pot is already boiling. It does not give that individual, does not give my son, my daughter, your child, the opportunity to dream or to think. Because in the classroom, they are losing marks. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Here in London, Ontario, they sit down and they do their test. The white child is what? Getting 60%, your child gets an 80%, and they turn to your child and say, what did you do to get that 80%? Did you cheat? Who did you look at? Defunding the police. Then when you as a parent goes to the district school board, and they see you as a black woman and you're single, what happens? Stereotypes put in place. But my father and my mother has trained me well. You never give them what they expect you. You give them the unexpected. So I walk in, you know, well-dressed, you know what I'm saying? You know, because we can do what we do as black people, we put it together, right? So I come in, Born here and raised here in Canada. Educated at York University. York University! And so I walk in. And I sit. And I say the right words. And then they turn to me and tell me that maybe we need to teach our teachers more about diversity. <laughs> more diversity training. So I stop and I think in my head, what does diversity training look like? Defund the police. Defund the police. When my 14 year old, that is now 16, gets stopped and they ask him, while well, he's with other children that are not black, and they ask him, what's your name? He says his name. That's not a black name. Oh, come on now. Come on now. They say, what school do you go to? And he says, what school he goes to. And then all of a sudden, it's like, what? Somebody was saying it before. My son is 6'4". My son is 180 pounds. My son is very tall. There you go. There you go. There you go. So he says to me, Mommy, I remember you and Grandpa told me that when I see the police, always be respectful, listen, and abide. So they asked him again, what is your name? He told them again his name. Again, three times, they asked him his name. He said the same name. No, that's not your name. They asked, what's your date of birth? He gave them his date of birth. Did they believe him? No, because he's six feet, right? He's big. Oh, come on now, say it again. And so, where's that sign that this young man has? I love this sign. Your silence is violence. Your silence is violence. Why? The security 
security guard came from the mall that knows my son and sees him there all the time and had to come out and he sees the injustice that was taking place and said to the police officers, no, he's a good boy. No, he goes to that school. He did not remain silent because you know what would have happened to my son? It would have been violence. Yes, come on. So we cannot be silent anymore because black lives matter. much to say for the proactive segment other than uh, we promoted the land back movement that's happening uh, with Six Nations uh, around the Caledonia area. And recently, more uh, Indigenous activists have been arrested, and this time including a a journalist named Carl Dockstadter. He's an Indigenous journalist, and he does a podcast called One Dish, One Mike, and he was arrested for doing journalism. And it still is surprising to me that this is not being covered by our mainstream news outlets. We had, you know, when this was going on in Portland recently, everyone was freaking out about white journalists being attacked by the police there. And it made like national news in the States. And yet here we have an indigenous activist who was arrested mainly for covering what's going on in Caledonia. And even on The Rebel, which we cover, they're sympathetic to the idea that this land is being taken by the indigenous people or being taken from the indigenous people. So all I want to do this week is, is make that known that this is happening in our province right now as we speak and to re-promote the bail fund to help these people who are being arrested in uh, Caledonia. And on that note, if you enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news or to the bail fund or any other fund. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up. You can find the link on our Twitter. Lastly, you can email us. Any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatom.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, hashtag kangaroos watch you while you sleep. Hashtag killer kangaroos. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.